Today on the post game, we have an action-packed episode. We start off with a Cloud Police segment and then the Red Truck Beef Jerky Twitter Beef of the Week. Get into some game recaps, not much to talk about there. We break down the Olympics uh, with the Sixes format and give our takes on that. And then we give our takes on the Inside Lacrosse First Team All-Americans. We wrap this all up with an awesome interview with Eamon McEnany. Uh, get his background and he also quickly previews the quarterfinal games that are upcoming for us. Hope you guys enjoy. Welcome to another phenomenal episode of the post game. As always, uh, we have a f- great interview with Eamon McEnany. Um, really good guy. You know those Notre Dame people are great people. Um, lot to talk about lacrosse related. Uh, you know, there was the whole sixes thing, all kinds of shit. But first things first, as always, Evan, how was your weekend, buddy? I had a great weekend. Uh, played golf on Friday broke 110 what's the 110 update i broke 110 i shot a 109 baby so Love i'm buzzing to hear i'm that. playing again Cheers. this friday um so like i said i'm just getting better every time just grinding uh then saturday i had a lovely day saw a lot of my friends watched some lacrosse um and yeah that, that was pretty much it i guess the worst part of my weekend was going like over seven in lax picks which is like <laughs> that was just like the perfect storm of like bad shit to happen in a lacrosse world. Like Syracuse gets rolled and I lose every single bet. Like it was a statistical anomaly that none of those hit. Um, Boy, it, it's it's what happens when you get a little bit too hot, you know. And that's God talking to you. You break one ten. Well, we're gonna keep you humble with going zero for seven in lacrosse games. It's fucked up that that's the way that it happens, but that's how it happens with me all the time. That's true. That's a good point. So I mean, I'll take the one ten over the gambling. Whatever. What, I got to pay a couple hundred bucks just to, to shoot under 110? Let's do it. That might be a lot for some people, but I'm fucking loaded. I played lacrosse. Fuck it. Um, How was your weekend? It was awesome, man. We, uh, Me, Brent Adams, Adam Gittleman, my little sister Gianna Ocello, and then um, Adam's partner Eden, we were all up coaching in Sun Valley. So we had a camp on Friday, good slate of camps on Saturday, and then just like some Sunday morning stuff. <clears throat> Sorry, I'm having some beers. <laughs> but I I love, I, and I'll continue to say it, Idaho's the most slept-on state in the Union. Uh, beautiful mountains. Sun Valley is like what Vail was 50 years ago. Boise is what Denver was 20 years ago. Um so the lacrosse community is big enough where we're really excited. We just booked an Airbnb for two months. I don't know if we've announced that yet, but Clinic Sports is going to have a two-month presence in Boise this summer. Um, Brent Adams is going to be living there full-time. And I was able to watch the Notre Dame game, finally. Let's go. I feel like I didn't schedule camps during the Notre Dame game, although it was a cruel twist of fate that that game was happening in Denver and, like, three parents reached out to me and were like, hey – you know, we have tickets waiting for you. And I was like, I'm going to be coaching the youth because I'm a great guy. Um, we'll dive into that game in a little bit. But no, I mean, being able to coach in an awesome spot like Sun Valley, it uh, it doesn't get much better. So it sounds great. That is a good weekend for the boys. Yeah, look at us. Are we buzzing again? Dude, I got to say. I, don't let us get dude, hot. We've said it before. Don't let us get hot. The freaking like, recording on Tuesdays is the best decision we ever made. And it, oh. I mean, 
the quality of product that we're providing to the fans. Why now, we started on Mondays yeah, was absurd. Stupid. I don't know who we thought we were. Oh, and the cherry on top. I'm right outside of my door. One of my best friends, Jamie Iketa, my best friend in the world, actually, not one of my best friends. <laughs> Let me retract that. Um, we're getting ready to go have some margaritas and some tacos after this. Uh, he's in town for work. Flew in a day early. He's staying at our apartment. Life doesn't get any better. Great. So I am I am buzzing both off of life and off of the several beers I've had today. Fantastic. Okay, <laughs> and that's the end of my rant. Now let's dive into the... <laughs> All right, so I think we need to start with some segments. I'm going to start with the Clout Police. I'm going to let you take it away, but uh, your boy... UNC legend Brian Balcom was getting pretty active on Instagram comments. So basically it was a post about uh, the Loyola save, which was a great save. We'll get into that later. Um, but I guess a few accounts were calling it like, quote unquote, the save, which you see get thrown around uh, a decent amount. And he was adamant right. that it was an overusage of the phrase the save. And it seemed like he was talking about his own save in the national championship, which I don't know if you're familiar with, but basically he just got hit in the football. Yeah, in the balls. He basically gets hit in the balls. And I always like reading that comment, I just picture there's all these like paintings that I see of like Kyle Burnlaw's like epic save or like these cool like little videos of it. And I just picture like he has his home picture of him like crouched over after getting hit in the balls. <laughs> it's like this beautiful painting and like tries to act like it's the same like thing. Like a white Goodman grabbing yeah, exactly. by the horn, but it's him it's just, just getting hit yeah, in the balls. Connor Kelly hitting him in the balls and him like, this is the save. <laughs> <laughs> but I want to get your uh, take oh. on it because I know you're going to have a good one. No, I mean, it's just you can only be a loser in so many ways and he consistently <laughs> goes back to being the same kind of loser, which is being a hardo. Like, it's it's the same problem that I have with all the shirtless workout people, and it's the same problem I have with things that we've talked about offline that would get me in trouble. <laughs> but I just love the variance. If if you're going to be on social media, you got to bring a little bit of freshness. You got to bring a little bit of new takes. You got to bring some jokes that deliver differently. Maybe something different. And that's you know that that's a whole, that's coming from a guy that just you know blows Notre Dame nine times out of ten. <laughs> but. The fact that he just becomes a hardo day in and day out, like he just wakes up and talks about UNC's rings and talks about his saves, you you can only do so much with that. So as much as I would love to continue this beef, like I have to give a clout exhaustion warning. And I really want to know if Luke Goldstock's comment was yeah, serious. Me too. Because it was right on the verge. If If a Notre Dame guy was acting like this, I would comment something like, you know, shut up or give it a rest or whatever. What did he comment? He again? just commented, exactly shut up under it. And it got like a, a few likes, like enough likes where you yeah. think it would be serious. Like that. He was actually telling him to shut up. I also don't know if you've ever hung out with Luke Goldstock, but I haven't really either, but I've been in a room with him and he just gives me the vibe of someone who would like openly hate his teammates that he doesn't like. Like he would just be like, yeah, I don't fucking like this guy. Like not even fake it. Uh, so I too, if anyone knows if that was a legitimate comment, him commenting, shut up under, under that, let us know because that is a nice little, that could be a, a Twitter beef. I guess it'd be an Instagram beef, but 
That was interesting. I, I would love that. But, you know, it, it's he has his cake and he eats it too. You know, he doesn't give a shit about me. He's writing on his rings. But somehow when I say Hardo UNC goalie, he comes running to defend and, and do his wings. <laughs> it's, it's a worn out bit. And honestly, I don't know how much longer I can continue before I have to go find some fresh material. So for the clout police, Brian Balkum, you've been issued a serious warning as only pigeonholing yourself as being the hardo unc goalie make it fresh or we're just gonna have to drop you from all of our bits and uh not include you in that clout that we give you um because goddamn dude i mean <laughs> pretty insufferable so i like being buzzed on the podcast it makes me yeah a little bit more confident you're buzzing, talking dude. Shit. you're flying uh so i have a i also saw a red truck twitter beef Red Truck Beef Jerky Twitter Beef of the Week um, nice. that you actually quote tweeted. Uh, but it was like a UNC alum and a Rutgers alum going at it like on, on Twitter. Like who was going to – first it was like who was going to win. But like someone had like a standard chirp about one or the other. But then it got like super personal like about playing time. It seems like one kid had like a slew of knee injuries and the kid was like, can you even walk anymore? Like it got really, really fucking dark. I don't know if you had any comments on it. It was so aggressive, dude. Like, and I felt bad for the kid with the knee surgeries, but then I looked at his Twitter and noticed that he talks about the knee surgeries a lot. Like he always ties it back to like him, him tearing his ACL three times. So I was like, all right, I don't feel as bad for you, but yeah, I wanted to get your thoughts on that too. Cause I saw you comment on it. Like, cause someone said like, who are you again? Or something like that. No. So I, I loved it. And you know, the, the thing that I like about Twitter's algorithm is like enough, if enough lacrosse people like it, it shows up in your feed, regardless of if you follow any of these guys or not. So these guys are dusters. I got to imagine, you know, like, and, and this is total speculation, you know, 2004, seven players and two of them one from Rutgers one from UNC again I, I have no fucking clue if this is right but this is just what I'm assuming is a is a UNC player and a Rutgers player from probably the same area we're having like a nice little Twitter beef and then a Rutgers guy just came in off of the top fucking rope and they were trying to have nice little banter and then this this Rutgers guy comes in and goes like I guess you had no fucking pride in your hometown oh. like you tucked your tail between your legs and went to UNC like you're a scumbag so you're not welcome it, in Jersey anymore It was friendly banter and then it got aggressive yeah, that's hilarious. So it was, uh, it was totally like, it, and I and I have the thread up right now. This Mike Dell guy, he was like, "Happy Monday to at Rutgers guy." Just remembered why I didn't go to Rutgers, and it's him kissing the trophy. And the guy responded like, "I refuse to like this tweet." Ha ha. Fair enough. If Andrew was a real fan, he'd be in Long Island to see me react. And. Uh, <laughs> And this guy goes, uh, shit, I actually can't see where it started, but just you, it's clear that there was a, there was a personal shot. So <laughs> it just became a who are you off because apparently you have no pride in where you grew up. Tuck your shirt in and get your finest boat shoes ready for Saturday. <laughs> and it was, who are you? Again, who are you? Thank you for interrupting. Like the whole thing was just so friendly. And then a classic Rutgers scumbag comes in and just takes cheap shots, says that you're not proud of where you're from. You're a scumbag. You know, you're a rich prep. And I, I loved every second of it. So the Twitter beef of the week finally doesn't involve you or I. It just is two old sports going at it. Love it. So 
credit to them. Phenomenal. I might try to get a little bit more information and be able to talk about it, but goddamn, if a no, I mean, if a nice friendly banter turned cheap shots doesn't get me going, nothing. Yeah, more. I mean, it, if you're listening and you have a Twitter, go find it. It's a pretty funny thread. I can't remember every shot, but there were a lot of personal shots in there. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I loved it. So, all right, well, that's good on the clout police. Um, we do talk about the game recaps and get a little bit into the tournament with Eamon. So I feel like we have the liberty of just kind of cruising through and giving all of our hot takes. I actually had a couple players reach out to me and say, and by couple players, I mean one, and by one player, I mean Zach Courier. He was listening to the Larkin interview, and he was saying, I can't believe how blind. He said, take your blinders off. Of course, Georgetown was going to beat Syracuse. You guys are too ACC and just talking all of that shit. Can you just briefly talk about Syracuse, Georgetown, and then we can put it to bed? Because as much as I wanted Syracuse to win, um, or as much as I wanted Syracuse to lose, you know, whatever, I'm still pro ACC. Yeah. So I think first we have to talk about our intern who had the fraud algorithm put together, and clearly we were <laughs> clearly there was something wrong with the algorithm because we were zero for three on fraud takes. So I think. Rutgers beating Lehigh was a big hit for me. And then, of course, Georgetown beating Syracuse was a big hit for me. Um, I mean, Georgetown just looked very good, top to bottom. Uh, I think the probably the biggest thing was possession. Um, and Syracuse just couldn't really get their feet under them. Georgetown was also just, like, balling on offense, whether it was, like, getting good looks inside Shooting from the outside, whatever it was, they were just like sort of having their way with Syracuse. I mean, it was the the same as all the other blowouts, so it wasn't like shocking. Um, once you saw the way that the game was going, you sort of realized that this is the this is where it was going to go. Um, so I don't really have much else to say. I feel really bad for the seniors. Uh, I feel bad for specifically Steven, uh because I just feel like. I mean, they all play so hard, but just like watching him and knowing him on a personal level, uh, probably better than, uh, well, I know Varello very well too, but <laughs> knowing him on a personal level and talking okay, about okay, the game fair, like fair. all the time, like I, you know, I talk to him all the time about the team and stuff and I know how much it meant to him. So it was tough to watch, but I can't say I'm like super shocked. I know I picked Syracuse, but like we all know that was kind of a, you know, me being a douche kind of thing, like. They obviously weren't not you. They obviously weren't uh, a team that showed that they they were going to make a run, and I, I think it was just sort of more of the same. Um, a lot of people are calling for for change, and I think something definitely needs to change. But I'm not necessarily sure it's the coaching staff. Uh, but yeah, it's it it hasn't only been this year. It's been a few years of of some down years in, in on the hill. So uh, another disappointing end to the season. No, it's uh, the the silver lining too is like I don't know if it's if it's me just getting old or me being you know that guy having a, a lot of season-ending losses under my belt, but everybody like texts me and they're like, "Oh my god, are you gonna shit on Syracuse on the pod tomorrow?" And I'm like, "No, like they're fucking kids still. I'd be much more comfortable shitting on you know like a pro player, but even then." 
the the thing that always gets me is like everybody talking shit is gonna suffer a season ending loss at one point at some point in the next two years or so. And it's always like, okay, what did that team accomplish like outside? This Syracuse team is is going to make me a lifelong Syracuse at least not a hater. I wouldn't <laughs> say a fan. I'll never say a fan, but the way that they handled the whole situation and like it takes a lot for a team to say, fuck it. I you know, I'll boycott this whole shit, you know, if if X happens. And again, I'm not gonna dive into any of that, but like between your personal relationship with Rafus and what you've told me about him and his, you know, I'll never tell you in person, but I respect the hell out of your opinion. <laughs> and with what the Syracuse team was able to do, it's like it, it it almost goes beyond lacrosse and it's okay you know what yes season was a shit show you got all that it, it's a true bummer wish they could have put up a bigger fight because of the acc but my honest to god thoughts are like this year is the year i will never talk shit about syracuse behind their back anymore the, so the other credit thing, to me for being a great guy the other thing is everyone was like oh they were supposed to be so good this year like yeah they were ranked high and they were really good in 2020 but they didn't play anybody in 2020. So, like, they played Army and they played Hopkins, and those were, like, the two best teams they played. So, like, yeah, they, they were supposed to be good based off the previous year, but, like, who knows how that year would have been, and then your expectations for 2021 would have been completely different. So, they're, they're getting a lot of players. They're losing players, but they're also getting a lot back on offense. Um, so, you know, it, it can only really go up from here. <laughs> I say that, and then we're going to miss the playoffs, but... I do have one more thing that I think I need to mention that I was thinking about today. Go off, King. Do you think that I cursed Syracuse for doing the John Wall dance? Because that is the last time Syracuse won a first-round game. No, <laughs> I, I honest to God don't. If I did, I think it's delayed gratification where as soon as they win a first-round game, as soon as they win a national championship, it's not going to be about the twenty. 25 Syracuse national championship team. It's going to be about the Evan Malloy, John wall gif. And I want to see the entire Syracuse lacrosse team doing it. Um, you set them up for the viral video of the year, whenever they do win the national championship of all of them doing John wall. So not only did you not jinx them, but you're going to make their lives whenever they do overcome that hurdle a million times better. It's the anti jinx jinx. Dude, you're being super positive today. I am. I'm, I'm in a good mood. I'm yeah. coming off of a good weekend. Jamie's in town. Don't let me get hot. I told you that at the start. All righty. Let's uh, touch on some of these games. I guess we can get into Notre Dame Drexel, which was actually a pretty good game. Really good game. Um, first off, no controversial calls. I'm glad the refs didn't get involved. Ooh. <laughs> there were some horse shit calls. And, you know, as much as I'm a circle jerk Notre Dame guy, that call, especially the hit at midfield when Notre Dame, like, scooped it up off of a face-off, Drexel gave a textbook hit, total horse shit. Um, I don't know about you. I love a good the two goalies are hot and who's going to stand on their head even further. Um, so I got really worried there, not because Drexel was the better team, but because when a goalie is is going parabolic and they're going nuclear bomb on the other team, it makes for fantastic lacrosse. Notre Dame was getting good shots. Pat Cavanaugh was playing well. Dobson was playing well. Um, but to watch the Drexel goalie and Eneman kind of go back and back and back and back, and I was like, holy shit, this has to be a goal right yeah. here. And I think he only allowed, like, what, two goals in the fourth quarter or something? Um, credit to him. Like, the Drexel goalie. Not the defense, not the middies, not the faceoff, not the attack. Credit to the Drexel goalie. 
And then the other thing, too, is like, you know, I, I, I said it, but if you didn't think Notre Dame as the number six seed versus an unranked opponent is going to be a fantastic game, you haven't been anywhere as a Notre Dame fan. We were down against Detroit Mercy. We've been down against Towson. Every first round game is, is a shit show. So this is honestly just par for the course for me. Couldn't be less rattled. And now we get to go uh, push Maryland shit in. So, <laughs> Did you watch the, uh, the UVA-Bryant game? Because uh, I watched the second half of it. Loved Bryant's anti-swag swag. I feel like they caught UVA so off guard because UVA thought they were in a high school game with like JV equipment. I was sweating during that because obviously we're we're on the hook for the ACC to perform, and that would have been two ACC losses in the first round, which I don't know if we could really come back from. So I'm I'm glad UVA got it done though. Dude, thank God. I did not want to I did not want to just reap ACC all year only to sow misery. Yeah. So, credit to Virginia. By the way, to be clear, I'm completely just rooting for the ACC for now on. Like I don't care if they're our biggest rivals every team. Like I'm full like I will root for North Carolina. Um wholeheartedly. It's so tough. It's so tough cuz I said something about rooting for North Carolina and not to make the whole show about UNC Hardo kid, but he responded where I was like, you know, I don't care. I'm rooting for the ACC against Rutgers. And he was like, I don't know. He said some bullshit, but I, I totally agree. As of right now, it's Notre Dame number one and Duke and UNC and Virginia is number two. <laughs> Perfect. And that's my unbiased take. That's just who I generally align with <laughs> for no reason. Um, um, all right, we can skip over the rest of these games. I mean, I don't think anyone really wants to talk about it. Uh, Monmouth got worked. Yeah, who gives a shit? Shout out Bryce Weiss- Wasserman for Monmouth getting smacked and not covering. Uh, I actually love Bryce. I, I hate that I text him pretty frequently. That whole podcast thing has, like, completely... Not only did it change my mind, it made me rethink everybody who I hate currently. Oh, like, yeah. If I hated Bryce at one point, holy shit... I need to rethink everyone, maybe. <laughs> so credit to Bryce. Big fan of your work. Um, I guess like the only game – I mean, Duke High Point. The one thing I'll say about that is Sowers went off. Um, oh, so if Jesus, he's, dude. He's nasty. If he's going to play that way, uh, look out. But I'm fingers crossed. I think it's going to be an all-ACC Final Four. Um, last game I want to touch on is obviously the instant classic of Denver Loyola. Did you uh, did you catch this one? Caught. Um, the bummer is, as I caught the first half of this game, but not the second half. Um, so I don't know. I don't. I don't really have too many takes. Yeah, I kind of just watch Notre Dame and the ACC, and then don't give a fuck. <laughs> I'm the worst. I'm I'm one of the worst lacrosse fans that I know. <laughs> but you know, everything's okay. So everybody was talking about that save. I loved it. You know, whether it was a good shot or a good save. Who really gives a shit? It was an iconic moment. And the worst part is, too, is everybody's talking about, like, that was the save of the lacrosse year. And I'm like, neither of those teams were going to win the championship. So I feel like that was my initial reaction. It's like, sick save, love the drama, love the pageantry. In the end, doesn't matter as much as other saves I've seen. (laughs) Well, you don't know if they're not going to win the championship. What if Loyola gets going? Also... By the way, Loyola was my dark horse to start this start this year. Oh, that is and true. And look at them now. They're good. 
Aiden Olmstead, Kevin Lindley, uh, number 13 in the midi, Peter Swindell or something. They, they can play. Um, but I thought it was a cool story that the goalie got benched for senior day, which is like the toughest look ever. <laughs> yeah. And then ended up winning his playoff tough. game. But, uh, yeah, I mean, I, good for them. Um, I felt really bad for the Denver kid because Alex Simmons is, like, pretty dirty, and he was making plays. He's so fun to watch. I don't know what year he is, but he is really fun to watch. I hope he's back next year. Um, but, yeah, I mean, I just felt terrible for him because right when he realized he got saved, he just, like, broke down and then was getting, like, consoled by his teammates, which is obviously tough to watch. Uh, mm-hmm. But he was getting, like ripped in the comments of, of all the videos like people were like i can't believe he did that blah 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 i think it was cocky for him to put it near side but probably could have put it low in a way but i mean whatever it was just like it was pretty much a lucky save is is what it was like the kid closed his the goalie closed his eyes and got hit with the ball there's not really like much the kid could do about that yeah we might have to call that a balkan if it's just a lucky save that you're going to clout yourself up on for the next 10 years <laughs> we'll see we'll we'll keep an eye on the uh goalie uh his instagram and we'll throw him in cloud jail if he starts talking about it too much uh absolutely i feel like the only other thing that um that really was announced is the sixes um i don't know i i would like to hear your thoughts on it first but i certainly have my thoughts so i'll kick it over to you i i think it's like the stupidest thing ever and i'll tell you why and i'm not just being a hater but this is going to be like the best platform for if this is like the, the whole plan is for this to be in the Olympics, like it's going to be the best platform to grow the game ever. And it's literally not the game. Like it's some weird hybrid between box and field that like makes no sense. You have somebody watch that in the Olympics and be like, oh, I like lacrosse and then turn on a PLL game and it looks completely different. I think like the PLL has the right rules. It's the most exciting version of the game have that in the olympics like wh- why can't you get that in the olympics i don't really understand why sixes is okay but the pll isn't like it makes no sense to me but a lot of people think that this is going to be great to grow the game i honestly think the opposite i think it's just going to cause more confusion um i saw one good like comparison which i think is a little extreme but someone like uh said if i if i watched rugby for the first time and loved it and then someone showed me the nfl i'd be like what the hell is this and it's not the same thing and it is like a pretty good comparison. Like sixes is not field across. It's not box across. That it's like some weird Frankenstein actually. version of it that is probably really fun to play and really fun to watch, but it's not the game. So I, I feel like it's not going to grow the game. It's only going to make people more confused. It's more rules for a game that's always complained about with rules. And, you know, I don't, I don't really understand this, this direction. <laughs> I guess I'm a little more negative See, than you this are. This is a bummer because <laughs> I wish I could bring something new and be like pro sixes, but I, I can't. And the, the reason is exactly what I just was telling you is I, it, it's one step forward, two steps back. One step forward being, ooh, you know, granted it's kind of a shitty step forward, but MLL fold, so now there are only two leagues to talk about because prior to this it was like, oh, yeah, you know, did you get traded from the outlaws of the Redwoods? And I'm like, no, those are two different leagues. What about the seals? And I'm like, well, a, I wasn't even really playing, but B, no, that's a whole different league. So like the conglomeration of this pro lacrosse where it's like, okay, all you have to do is no indoor outdoor. And now if you have sixes 
how do you describe that in a succinct manner? It's like, okay, yeah, so you have indoor, and then you have outdoor, and then you have the Olympic version. And then, oh, yeah, here's this game called 3 by, And then, you know, it's just like, okay, what what is actually lacrosse and what isn't? And that's not to knock any any proposals or any discussions about the sport or anything like that, but it is, hey, I want to grow the game. Well, how the fuck do you grow the game if, if you can't – decide on what the game is you know and that's not right you know i know every lacrosse purist is going to be like well you know it's getting out there and it's playing and it's outdoor and it's indoor and it's you know but it's the not getting it out there because it's not it's the like, same no, thing i'm like yeah no i understand that but but the the entire world needs to know what lacrosse is and if the lacrosse community can't decide if that's box if that's field if that's sixes if that's three by if that's chumash if that's whatever the fuck variation of it when when I read the, when I read about the sixes, I was like, "This is closer to three by than it is, you know, the PLL." And three by is something that you play when you're having a couple cocktails on the beach. Um, I don't know. It, it, it just I I didn't understand why it couldn't just fucking be right. Break, box yeah. lacrosse. If you're gonna choose it, make it be box. If you're if that's an inhibiting for for cost, you're telling me the lacrosse fucking community can't fundraise to get every national team a couple thousand bucks of equipment like so it, it was it was frustrating but if lacrosse in any capacity is going to the olympics it'll be the classic is that good for the game is it not i'm i'm legitimately torn on it i would love to see people hey what the fuck is this new lacrosse sport because i watch figure skating once every four years and don't give a shit but if people see Someone at the Olympics holding a lacrosse stick, overall, great for the sport. If they watch the game and get invested and then try to follow it, they'll be like, what the fuck is going on here? <laughs> so, you know, you, you tell me. Only time will tell, but right now I'm just like, I would rather have it just be box lacrosse and let Canada clean up and win every gold medal for the next 20 years than have it be sixes and this middle ground and there's no face-off so that if you get interested in lacrosse in the Olympics, there's at least a place, a natural place to go to. Yeah, I mean, I think to your point, like short term, it, it'll probably be good because people like more people than there were will watch lacrosse because people are going to watch the Olympics and watch it. But at the end of the day, it's it's not the same sport. Um, also, like people saying that this is how like the youth game should be. I saw fucking Jordy say that and then someone else. That is Shut the stupidest up. thing I've ever heard. You can't like like why would you play sixes until you're 12 years old? It's not the game. Like you could play, you you said it best. You play with your fucking friends and then like you have to play organized field lacrosse or organized box lacrosse. That's like how you either are going to go to college or make money in the sport. And you know it only starts younger and younger. So like I thought that was the worst fucking take. It's a completely different game than sixes might be a decent game if you're if you end every practice with West Jenny and then, Hey, you know, instead of West Jenny, we'll do sixes. Right. That's what it right, is. Perfect. That's what it is. But it's not. Yeah. It's, it's West Jenny. It's a glorified West youth, Jenny. Youth lacrosse. I, I might have to text Jordy. Yeah. Text and him. call him a bunch of names. Sick brag that I have his number. Fuck. God, I just sounded like an asshole. All right. Last thing. Um, um we got to touch on. Yeah. We have one final. Well, we thing. have to, we didn't talk about this before recording, but the All-Americans came out, so we obviously have to talk about that. Um, Pat Kavanaugh should be higher. Dude, I actually think that that's sort of fair. 
Like, I think Pat Kavanaugh should had a better year than Michael Sowers. Like, I don't know who I think is a better player, like, at the end of the day, but Pat Kavanaugh had a better year than him, so I have no problem saying that. Um, I do, too. It, it kind of started off as a joke, but I was like, I, like, fucking look at it, fellas. All the dudes, Jesus. all the Duke kids on the first team, like, are questionable. Your boy, JT Giles Harris, who you say isn't good every episode. And then Nakai Montgomery, whose game I love is is I I love his game. He's he's electric to watch, but averages one one goal a game in the ACC. I saw on Twitter. So that's what I that's, that's exactly what I was thinking. Could you make the argument for Commodore Perry to slide into that first first team? Who knows? The, you know he got he got robbed. Our boy, friend of the program. So I don't know. I honestly think I might put Schellenberger up there, but yeah, it's just uh, I think there's a little. I think inside lacrosse was drinking the post game tea and, and put some ACC bias on that first team. Yeah, I mean it's just the impact that we're having on the sport. You know, we we have to be careful about the words that we They're choose. They're gonna cancel Not sixes from the Olympics. Fucking buzzed. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> All right, so cancel sixes because Nick and Evan said that. <laughs> but I, I will say one of the things that really stuck out too is like the fact that Asher Nolting is only an honorable mention when he's been an absolute wagon. Andy's from Colorado. I mean, shit. who would you put in front? Anti-Colorado bias sickens Who would you put him in front of? I don't have the list in front of me, but um, name a couple names. Uh, Jared Bernard, Chris Gray, Michael Sowers, Pat Cavanaugh, Jake Carraway. Okay, not the first team. Jesus. Pat Cavanaugh, Jake Carraway, Brendan Nitrin. Brendan Nitrin, done. Next. He's having, Rep- he's having a better Kit year. Brendan Nitrin back Ryan to... Ryan Tierney, Logan Wisnowskis, and Stephen Rafis. Those are the people... Wisnowskis, get out of there. <laughs> Sorry. Love you. You're done. Uh, that guy that you said earlier, done. All right. <laughs> um, and get Nolting get yeah. in there. Just because he plays for high point doesn't mean that he needs to be honorable mention. So... I think it does in a way, and we kind of—that's kind of what we stand for with the ACC bias. So. Uh, is what it is. Oh, also, uh, final point—we we forgot to mention in this clout police. Oh my God, they're doing a Chris Hogan documentary. We've already discussed that. They're making us pay five dollars for it. Are you kidding? Are they really? It costs money. Yeah, it costs money to watch the uh, watch the Hogan interview, which brings me to a very important question: Undrafted with Chris Hogan. God help the seven teams that didn't take him <laughs> is evan malloy gonna be paying five dollars to watch that no i'm not paying nope me that. neither okay done we can end on although that. <laughs> you know i know what people probably will pay for is undrafted on myself and dylan malloy <laughs> <laughs> so maybe we get that guy dude but i mean do we have to do an investigative documentary on that i think like there might be time we have to yeah if nothing else, I would just love to – I would pay $5 for a T-shirt with your face that just said undrafted. <laughs> All right, I'll make them. Jamie, what are you doing? All right, perfect. Well, uh, I feel like that's a, that's a good wrap-up to the episode is that neither of us – we might have to boycott the episode um, and funnel all of that $5 to the Evan Malloy PLL <laughs> Relief Fund. But, you know – I, I can only support so many charity causes. Sorry, Jamie's over here distracting me. What is he doing over there? Does he want to come on? We, kinda, we lost our rhythm. I'm anyway. actually in his guest bedroom, which is our guest bedroom. Up, Jamie? So he can't. He can't hear you. He didn't see him. Yeah, he didn't yeah. seem that excited to see me. Honestly, it's okay. Um, all um, right. All anything, right. You got anything else? I think we we really ran through it. Oh, dude. 
you got to let the people, <laughs> you got to talk about Rick Beardsley for like five seconds. <laughs> I, okay. You know what? I'll, I'll say this, but imagine being my enemy right now. <laughs> it, it, embarrassing. And, you know, I will never dance on anybody's grave because I'm above that, but I'll never forget the ricochet shot that he get. I'll never forget the shit that he talked. You know, I'll never forget the, the, the people that have historically gone against me are not in great places. And I don't know what caused Rick to step away from it. I don't know why Hartzell hasn't been invited to camp. You know, it's just, you look at the overall trends and Things are looking up for Nick. So as far as my comments for Rick Beardsley, he extended the olive branch. We raised some money for one love. Um, I don't know what the hell is going on with him. Um, and quite frankly, that's, that's all I'm willing to say is, you know, I don't want, I don't want to take any cheap shots and I don't want to be a dick, but, uh, that, that's about all I got, you know? So, yeah, I mean, it was, uh, you know, it was it was quite the fiasco seeing you guys go back and forth. But then, uh, yeah, I mean, I'm I'm not I'm on your side, of course. I'm not gonna do any grave dancing either. But uh, I thought that was pretty timely that after you guys went back and forth for like four weeks straight, and then he just like stepped away from coaching. So I had to bring it up. Uh, shit happens, so. man. I I tell you. And that's a good lesson for all you kids out there. Is I'm very I am so selective about the shit that I talk. Because I don't want it to come back and bite me in the ass when I get cut or when I retire. Because I know there's going to be like that uh, that um, that Syracuse anonymous account that as soon as I retire or get cut, he's just going to come fucking prancing. I don't need that to be real people. So, you know, I try not to talk <laughs> shit about guys that when my career ends, they can come back and be like, you were always trash. You were always a piece of shit. I always just chirp the character. I never chirp the on-field stats. That's so there, there's true. a lesson for you kids. Words to live by. All right, you got anything else? We'll wrap this up. No, let's wrap it up. Let's kick it over to a fantastic interview with Eamon McEnany. Um, honestly, one of, one of my favorite interviews. As always, this interview is brought to you by two of our best friends, best companies. Sideline Swap, go and check them out. Red Truck Beef Jerky, go and check them out. Here's Eamon McEnany. This interview is brought to you by Sideline Swap. The post game is teaming up with Sideline Swap to bring you charity auctions. We have former guests, athletes looking to get involved, Nick and myself, all donating gear in our post game locker, and all proceeds go to the charity of our choice. Um, we have some new gear coming out. I'll be sure to post that. We'll be linking it out on social. Uh, should be coming in the coming weeks. We'll be sure to keep you guys updated there. A lot of cool stuff, some PLL gear, just to tease it out. But I'm making no promises because last time we had some issues. Um, also be sure to check out sideline swap for all your gear buying and selling needs. It's a great platform, whether you're looking to get money in your pocket and you have some old gear lying around or you're in market for some new stuff. It doesn't have to be lacrosse gear. They got hockey gear, golf gear, skiing equipment, whatever you may need. Sideline swap probably has you covered. And now time for Eamon McEnany. The post game would like to welcome uh, a fantastic guest that we're really excited to have on. You know him as one of the most iconic voices in the history of lacrosse broadcasting. I know him as a great fellow Notre Dame alumni. Welcome to the post game, Eamon McEnany. How you doing? I'm doing great, guys. Uh, great to catch up with you. Looking forward to uh, chatting lacrosse here. Absolutely. So we'll just briefly set the scene. Um, I'm sitting in Denver. Evan is on Long Island and you have a beautiful scene, uh, you know, green trees, the breeze is blowing. Where are you right now? 
Uh, I am on the Upper West Side, Central Park West, right outside uh, Central Park. It's a beautiful spring uh, evening here in New York City. My son uh, has basketball practice, so I figured I'd catch up with you two guys here on a uh, gorgeous spring night in New York. They're not always like this, so I'm going to take advantage of it. I also live in New York City, so I don't know where the Long Island thing came from. (laughs) (laughs) But I'm in Chelsea, so we're right by each other, Avon, if you ever want to hang out. (laughs) Oh, pretty cool. (laughs) <laughs> I missed the chance to hang out with uh, Nick's fellow domers the other night uh, for the Drexel game. I got back in town late, but uh, always looking forward for a good hang with uh, fellow Lax players. Absolutely. Look at that. We know Evan's lonely and always looking for friends, so he's not above asking anybody to hang out for beers like I am, too. Um, but we'll dive into it. So, you know, I'll say this as, uh, you know, as gentle as possible as we are from different generations. Um, and that kind of provides a whole different insight and look into not only the coach Corrigan, which we'll dive into, but honestly, like the entire, um, you know, recruiting process, the entire, you know, platform of everybody kind of has the luxury of having film and having, you know, emails and calls and cell phones and texts. Um, so to start off, like, how did you first get into lacrosse before we jump into the recruiting thing? Was it always a family uh, affair or? Uh, sort of, but it was still really late. Uh, I knew it, there was no lacrosse in New York City growing up in the late 70s and 80s. But I knew about the sport because of, uh, you know, there was a guy uh, with my same name, Eamon McEnany, who was an absolute legend at Cornell, uh, won two national championships. And for some reason, that team got a lot of coverage, even though it was the 70s. Sports Illustrated wrote articles about him, uh, the New York Times, and those games were on tape delay on Wide World of Sports. So I watched and uh, I got to know him a little bit, or I met him at least, uh, because he played football as well. So I went up to a Cornell-Columbia game here in New York City and had a chance to meet him. But, like, when he was done in 77, there was no other lacrosse to watch. So, you know, I was also a huge Yankees fan. So, you know, I was a a baseball guy. Uh, But then my sister, older sister, went to prep school, and she picked up the sport. So I started watching her play in high school while I was still in seventh or eighth grade. And, but uh, I still always thought I'd be a baseball player. Uh, but then I went to the Hill School in Pottstown, Pennsylvania, and lacrosse was the thing. They had a really good baseball team, but still, I mean, lacrosse was the sport. And my freshman year, they played for the state championship uh, against Lower Marion, and the game was just an amazing atmosphere. And, you know, it was a great game. And I'm like, I like this sport a lot more than uh, baseball. So I started playing uh, my junior year, uh, and, you know, nice. it was kind of like a lark. But, you know, JV lacrosse, in all honesty, was the greatest athletic experience I've ever had. No you're shit. Learning something, you're learning something new. The coach was great. Uh, the players who I played with were my best friends. Um, and it was just fun. I mean, don't get me wrong. You wanted to win, and the coaches made you run, and it was still serious. But it wasn't what was coming down the pike in, you know, varsity lacrosse and then college lacrosse and even, you know, football. So I just loved it. I I quickly loved it. I quickly really, really wanted to play varsity at Hill. So I worked harder at that, getting in shape and on the wall and, you know, getting my, you know, stick skills and all that stuff. So I was really late to the party. So we can talk about being recruited all you want, but I got one letter, I think. Um, So so there was no recruiting of me. How did you end up at Notre Dame and like how quickly did you pick it up starting your junior year? Cause you only got like two years to, to get it yeah. going then. So, I mean, back then, I mean, it still is a sport that's very easy to pick up. If you play other sports, I'm not saying the, obviously the stick skills Agreed. and the athleticism is separates you, but if you play basketball, any kind of defensive back, you know, obviously I imagine hockey and soccer as well, 
the concepts of the sport are easy to pick up. You know, if you, if you see someone get beat, you move to them. Same thing. If you beat a man and someone's coming, you find the open man. I mean, I'm obviously I'm being very simplistic, but, um, and so back then, you know, Notre Dame was really just getting started. So I was a walk-on, you know, and we were all sort of walk-ons, but I was the truest mm. of walk-ons. I was going to Notre Dame no matter what, you know, whether the lacrosse or, or not. You know, I went there. My dad took me out there to visit, and I went when the basketball team upset number one North Carolina, and I was jumping up and down on the mm. court like I was a sophomore. And I'm like, I love this place. I want to go here. I mean, I was born and raised on it. My dad went there. Uh, my grandfather went there. So lacrosse was kind of a bonus and a throw in and then uh you know i really wanted to make the team so i worked pretty hard i think in the fall of the seniors and upperclassmen when you were freshmen were really cool and you just had a different experience than other freshmen you know when you're a freshman at notre dame you have no idea or i guess any college you really have no idea what you're doing but when you're a freshman athlete and the upperclassmen take you under your wing you know or under their wing i should say you get to know how to get into commons or Bridget's or, you know, or prison or parties. Exactly. We've had two Notre Dame guests on and both of them got arrested their first night of college. So that's why I say that. <laughs> there you go. I mean, we believe me, we skirted close. Uh, you know, definitely. Uh, it, it wasn't as big a deal then. I mean, you could be in a bar and be underage and have it be rated and your parents couldn't even find out back in 1989. Now, especially if you're a lacrosse player, you get, trouble it's on you know inside lacrosse.com but uh, it was a, it's one, one of the advantages of growing up going to college in the 80s that, I, no phones, I hear that but, like uh, that's a that's a big cliche of like my dad tells me the stories that he ever did and I'm like how didn't you get in trouble and he's like there were no cell phones the cops didn't really give a shit this and that uh, there's nothing I'm more envious about the you know his generation and your generation than the fact that you could probably be a bigger dipshit than I was maybe <laughs> and have a, at least a higher chance of getting away with it. Not 100%, but still. You, you know, it's funny you say that because, you know, when I started calling your games and my wife would come to some of the games because, you know, you guys played on Hempstead or and my wife got to meet some of your parents, so she started following the guys on the team. She'd always be like, you know, I don't think these guys should be posting these pictures on Instagram. And I'm like, honey, I have no idea what the rules are. You're probably right, but I'm not going to go call Nick Costello or Matt Landis and say, hey, take that picture of having a great time down because everyone's doing it. So, you know, they're probably 23 years old at this point. But anyway, I agree with your dad a thousand percent. Uh, I'm thankful that when I was in whatever state of mind I was in Bridget's on a uh, Saturday night, no one was there to uh, document it for a uh, the rest of the time well after uh, after we stop recording i might have to hear one or two of the stories that uh you know that you, that you could share but not publicly but we'll uh we'll give me on. credit for remembering them but yeah. we'll see <laughs> beautiful um well as is tradition whenever we have a notre dame guest on the first thing that we do is kind of you know just immediately dive in and you know just make it all about notre dame like we do best um, but the, but the fascinating thing, and we were talking about this a little bit before Evan got on and before we started recording was we have very different, uh, views of, of coach Corrigan in like different aspects of his life. You got him right as he was getting Notre Dame dialed, right as he was getting married. And I got him, you know, as I was a, I was a classmate with his son. So, you know, it's almost like a beautiful little full circle thing. That's right. I would love to hear your, uh, your impressions of coach Corrigan, um, you know, as a coach, as a man, um, especially cause I got to see him kind of as, as the father, um, right. of one of my teammates. Yeah, I mean, we'll, we'll get into it, but it's funny, you know, you mentioned, you know, him being a dad and Will, you know, 
one of the great things about getting back into the sport and calling so many Notre Dame games and going out to South Bend is getting reacquainted with him completely different as the hard ass who's making us run. Um, <laughs> yeah. But, you know, when he took over, he took over maybe two years, two or three years after Lou Holtz took over the football team. And they're very similar situations, but completely different stakes, obviously. But he knew he was taking over a group of guys that maybe weren't as focused and or as driven and didn't have the same goals as he had. He went out there as an assistant after being an assistant in Virginia. He went out there to build what he's built. We were sort of there to hang out with our best friends, play some games, and go do you know what on Saturdays yep. or maybe even Thursdays. So <laughs> I do know he right. So he and you, he also knew enough that even though he was a young guy and hadn't he had been the head coach for one year, but like he knew that he only gets one chance to make that first impression. So he laid down the law early on us that if you wanted to play at Notre Dame, this was no longer what you had done. And we played for Rich O'Leary, who was a great coach, and we had a lot of fun and we really liked him, but this was going to be different. So the first winter he was out there, he took this from Lou Holtz. He had us running in Loftus, which is the indoor facility. I think we met at 6 in the morning, and it was, quote-unquote, early practice. There was no practice. The sticks and balls were (laughs) not brought out. It was pure running and lifting, and it definitely was not successful unless someone was bent over and and, and throwing up. And it was two or three times a week, and it was completely designed to see who wants to stick around. Because we only did it that one year. And, you know, it was funny. Like, he always rationalized, what? It's it's only 6.15. I'm not keeping you that long. And once you're up, you guys should have no problem going to practice. I'm like, yeah, coach, that sounds great on paper, but we're done here at 8. My first class isn't until 10. I'm going to sleep for maybe the next eight hours. You know, what you guys know in college, once you put your head on that pillow, if you have a free hour, it's rallying for 10 o'clock. You lose a few days. Exactly. So, but again, to your, to your question, what was he like? He was going to lay down the law and, you know, he wanted to take us that program you know, to what he had in mind. And we didn't really see that vision because we were morons and we were 19. So, um, you know, he, he worked us hard and he was demanding, but you learned a lot, um, you know, and, I, you know, I also learned, you know, he said every action has its consequences. And as you get older, that's on you. And, you know, he, he was right. You know, you don't, you know, when you're 18 or 19, you know, mommy and daddy are always sort of there to help you out. When you're 23 and 24, you know, that's on you. And we weren't 20, you know, I'm just saying, so like we did some stupid stuff and we got in trouble and he would either make us run or do community service. So it was no longer, you know, it was no longer, a, you know, a free ride. And, it, you know, he wasn't going to let us treat it like it was intramurals and not that, it, not that that's how we treated it, but you know, he was going to make it feel like a big time division one program. And by the end of it, when we were in the NCAA tournament, my junior year, we could see it uh, on the rise and you could see the talent getting better. And it wasn't that much longer after we were gone that he won an NCAA tournament game. Boy, some things change and some things just don't. Yeah. <laughs> they right. just stay the same. Sounds the same. Nothing. Nothing yeah. I hated more than being held accountable to my own actions. So glad, <laughs> glad to hear that he started that all the way back then, and it wasn't anything personal. Right. So you you touched on the uh, the playoff appearance that you guys had. What was like campus like? And I know right now, like nowadays, everybody gets super into the lacrosse program, and you have great attendance. So. Was campus similar when you guys made that playoff game, or was it still all about football? Because I know that was the the glory days yeah. of the football team. Uh, yeah, we got no fans. Uh, it was completely. <laughs> yeah, I mean, we got our friends. You know, I mean, I remember one time we got blown out. And our friends were there, and they had such a good time. Like them dancing was a bigger. You could hear them making more noise than, than the game. That was. Uh, but uh, you know, we we had a couple of big games. You know, I remember one beautiful day we played Ohio State, and coach got a DJ. 
you know, for warmups and no he like did way. some marketing. Yeah. And it was like perfect. Was, you know how, you know, I don't know what it's like at Syracuse. It doesn't really matter with the dome, but like at Notre Dame, you're going to maybe in the spring get two nice Saturdays because, you know, the lacrosse, you know what I'm saying? It's just it, the spring ends so quickly, but you're going to get maybe those two nice days and we got a decent crowd, but for the most part, um, you know, lacrosse did not draw. It was not like now where you're getting four or five into our lotto or that Carolina game when you had people hanging off trees. So, uh, yeah. you know, uh, but, you know, and that, that, but, you know, to, you know, we had a couple of good games inside Loftus, um, but still also though, you got to remember lacrosse in the Midwest wasn't a big deal. There were, right. there weren't that many high schools playing it. I mean, I did a game uh, out in South Bend, you know, who knows where I walked from uh, the bookstore which is on one end of campus, really sort of the entrance to campus. And Arlotta is about a half mile away. And through that parking lot, you'd walk by these tailgaters. And it was all these high schools from Michigan or Indiana or Illinois who were at the game. And when I mean tailgaters, they were just there with their parents. They weren't doing anything wrong. But I'm just saying, like, they were making this pilgrimage to Arlotta in South Bend to see the Irish play. There was none of that in 1987. There was, like, maybe three – I mean, I'm being exaggerating, but maybe three or four high schools – that, you know, played lacrosse at all in the Midwest. Yeah. Well, and that's what I loved about kind of like, you know, I don't think there's anything really to brag about going to college in Indiana about in general. Um, but it, it was awesome to see, like, you know, if you're a high school player in Indiana or, you know, kind of like the boonies of Ohio or kind of one of those surrounding areas that's a general desert, it is kind of a sick draw. And like in the same way that, you know, if, if you're on the East Coast, you have these slew of teams. If you're on the West Coast, you're probably going to be like an Oregon fan or like an MCLA fan of or uh, sorry, a Utah fan or like an MCLA Oregon fan. If you're you know, I grew up idolizing Denver and wanting to play for Denver. So I always just thought that as Notre Dame's program grew and as we kind of, you know, Corrigan did a fantastic job, there were those marquee games where he would talk to 20 or 30 high school coaches. And then all of a sudden you just have a shitload of high school players that are screaming and 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 loving it and making it quite frankly a pretty hostile environment so i uh i tell you to, to just to pick up on that thought uh, as a viewer i did not call the game i watched it and i've seen the highlights the carolina game that notre dame wins in overtime that carolina never should have uh let get away you know the crazy ending with the you know the hit in Kavanaugh where notre dame i think was man up for 10 minutes yep evan uh, you, you idiot know. Evan yeah, Connell, I mean, not you. Not yeah, me. I mean, yeah. that crazy ending. But you see that scene of people running on the field. And it's not just Notre Dame students. You know, it's just kids, you know, from all over the Midwest. I think that's part of what he's built there more than the trips to the Final Four and the ACC championships. That, you know, sort of community of lacrosse in the Midwest. It's just an amazing scene, you know, for me who was out there in, you know, the late 80s, but just in general for the sport, what he's been able to uh, create. And, you know, you talk about the fact that he'll talk, you know, he's created a relationship with those coaches. I remember when the quarterfinals were at Indianapolis, he made a point in the fall to make sure everyone knew about it and the clinics across the Midwest. So he has done a tremendous job and it obviously helps to play big games and get Syracuse out there and get Maryland out there and Carolina and Duke. So uh, it, you know, it's, it's just been uh, sort of amazing to see the sport grow in that area. Well, and it's funny, whenever we had the coaches clinics, he would invite coaches from all across the area to give them, you know, insight into what Notre Dame lacrosse was doing, how you structure film, how you structure practice. And we all loved the idea on the surface level. 
But son of a bitch, if those weren't the hardest two days of practice, you know, where he would go above and beyond. And he's like, if you want to be serious, you got to run these fuckers into the ground. And and we just knew we just saw the line of high school Indiana coaches. And we yeah. were like, oh, my God, we're so screwed this practice. So the guy coaches 11 year olds. Yeah. <laughs> it's definitely one of my favorite places to play, though. It's like it's now it's like a hostile atmosphere. You know, the fans are like pretty much on the field. So I, I always love going there and playing there. So. I guess it wasn't like that when you were there, but it's cool to see how it's grown. Yeah, um, you paved the way, so thank you. Yeah, uh, <laughs> so sure. One one question we ask pretty much all of our guests is: give us a favorite memory on the field, and then give us one of your favorite memories off the field. Uh, okay. Uh, favorite memory on the field has got to be beating Michigan State to go to the NCAA tournament because because that was always the goal. Um, and for the upperclassmen who had been there and, you know, sort of stuck around and hung with the program to get that after so many close calls, um, you know, just for the listener, you know, who doesn't know the history. Back then there was an automatic bid. There was one automatic bid. It was called the Western bid. It basically was Air Force, Ohio State, Notre Dame and Michigan State, which unfortunately doesn't uh, exist anymore. Uh, there's probably a few other programs. But basically, those are the big ones. So we beat Air Force. Uh, early in the year in San Diego. So we knew it was going to come down to our game against Michigan State. Uh, we had some great battles against Michigan State, uh, but we got them. Uh, so mm. for the seniors to get a chance to go to the NCAA tournament and for, to validate what we had done, that's got to be the best one. Uh, off the field, I guess I can tell this story now. We played a game <laughs> at uh, Cornell, and it was Easter weekend, and we had to go back to campus. Uh, we played well, but that was when Cornell – I mean, Cornell's still really good, but, uh, you know, Richie Moran was the coach. They had All-Americans. Uh, just to let you know how high confidence was in the Notre Dame uh, cheering section, I think we led 9-8 going into the third quarter. And my dad turned to my mom and said, take a picture of the scoreboard before it changes. So thanks a lot, <laughs> mom and dad. But uh, they knew what they were talking about because uh, Cornell scored the, scored like four unanswered goals and we lost 13-8. But anyway, uh, a couple of the players who had already graduated were at the game and they hooked us up with some beverages for the bus ride home. And mm. it was the only time uh, we did that, knuckleheads. But, uh, you know, to drink on the bus ride home, you know, you're sort of like ducking down and you're doing, you know, but anyway, I remember waking up, not waking up, but all of a sudden coming up from underneath the chair and the movie on the bus, that's how long ago it was. We watched movies on the bus was honey. I shrunk the kids. And, uh, you know, for, I don't know if anyone's ever seen it, but you have humans like flying around a, a potted plant. And I'm like, I'm pretty sure that was only vodka in that drink, but what the hell is going on? But, you know, so, uh, we turned it up on that bus ride home. Uh, is that, that's one of the, you know, we had some blast, you know, the toga party, the hot tub party. Uh, you know, I don't know if we really want to go into those, but with the team, that's one that uh, stands out. But uh, the hot tub party junior year also was a, was a wild one. We could be here for a while telling those stories. We have time. You're the one who has to go. Yeah. <laughs> Uh, all right we'll uh we'll 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 put a note in the hot tub story we might have to invite you back i got to imagine <laughs> you know that's that's something that we'll be able to resonate with um okay but no we'll uh we'll, we'll briefly touch on the broadcasting career and, and get into it um you know you've had some well, of the hold most on, like, hold on hold on hold on we missed the most important question of college so i wikipedia'd you Eamon, and i oh, saw that's right. your okay, nickname shit. your oh, nickname yeah, was okay. the big red dog that's correct. Is that true? And why is that your nickname? If you can it's tell a, us. 
It's completely <laughs> true. Uh, luckily, for some reason, uh, I also picked up E-Train, and that won out. By the end of my four years, there were still uh, uh, some people who still call me Cliff or Clifford, but uh, <laughs> luckily E-Train kind of knocked that off. Um, but, yeah, so freshman, I was kind of absent-minded freshman year. Like, I would, you know, sort of show up to practice in the wrong shoes or uh, yeah. maybe be late to practice. Um, you know, I was kind of like didn't have my way. And the seniors and the upperclassmen said, you're like Clifford the Big Red Dog. You're always getting lost. And I had never read those <laughs> cartoons, never watched the shows. I had no idea what they were talking about. But once you, you guys know, once you get a nickname that you don't want, it's sticking. So I was, for a good two years, I, I was Clifford the Big Red Dog or Cliff or Clifford. <laughs> um, so that was kind of, yeah, because I just sort of was absent-minded uh, freshman year. And uh, my junior year, we had a recruit. I forget his name, but he was a great kid. Uh, played at Penn Charter. Unfortunately, we didn't land him. Uh, I think he went to Virginia. I don't know what he was thinking, but I showed this kid a great time. I mean, this kid had a blast. <laughs> and at the end of the weekend, uh, I, he introduces me to my to his parents, and he said, "Mom and Dad, this is uh, my host, Clifford Amon." Like, wait, who? <laughs> what? <laughs> what? <laughs> but that's how good a time he had. But yeah, no, it's stuck. And uh, I don't know how it got to Wikipedia, but uh, I appreciate you bringing it up uh, 30 years later. <laughs> Good. Well, we're going to call you for the rest of the episode. Yeah, it's fine. You're not the only person. I go back back to uh, hang out at Notre Dame now in games and see people who I haven't seen in 30 years. And, you know, they call me that. And I'm like, oh, my goodness. I guess I got to answer that for another 48 hours. But (laughs) all good. Great times. (laughs) Oh, beauty. That's a good Um, one. Well, shit. I mean, honestly, that that was better than a lot of the answers that I was, you know, kind of mulling through my head. I was like, Clifford the Big Red Dog. I was like, it's probably something (laughs) super messed up. So if it was oh, just you being God. absent-minded, that's as harmless as it could be. Yes. So beauty. But uh, no, let's uh, let's get into the broadcasting career a little bit. Obviously, you've been kind of, you know, the voice of some of the most iconic moments. But, you know, I feel like that's not your first job when you start. Uh, how did you right. get your first job as kind of the play-by-play guy eventually becoming, um, you know, kind of one of the guys that – when I think Eclipse, I always think of, you know, your voice screaming at the top of your lungs <laughs> and getting all fired up about it. But how did it start? Yeah, I mean, it was not a straight path at all. I mean, I always thought when I got into being when I find my first jobs out of college were all production. That's just behind the scenes, because when I was at Notre Dame, uh, I did not do enough on air. I didn't do on the radio. I didn't call games. I, I wasn't the most focused person in the world, but I was also playing, you know, varsity sport. So, I, you know, I, I didn't really have all the time in the world. So I kind of had to go behind the scenes. But then in, in 1999, I said, you know, what? I really want to be on air. And I always thought I'd be on the desk as sort of a studio host, which is kind of the job I have now. But when you start that late, you kind of have to be willing to do anything and everything. And I picked up some jobs locally uh, here in New York with MSG as a sideline reporter for high school basketball <clears throat> and, lacro- uh, uh, and football games. They picked up lacrosse as a spring sport. So I was able to go into being an analyst at that at the high school level. So that gave me a tape that I could send to ESPNU. And I knew enough people because I'd worked at ESPN before that I was always peppering people at ESPN. Hey, you know, give me a shot. Give me a shot. Give me a shot. So I get a call from a coordinating producer and said from down in Charlotte, ESPNU, and said, hey, look, we're going to use you on some of our lacrosse broadcasts this spring. And I'm like, yes, yes, yes. But first, (laughs) are you available this weekend to call wrestling? 
I'm like, Paul, what? <laughs> yeah, so we need a play-by-play announcer for Army Wrestling. And the only reason they wanted to use me was because Army's an hour away from Manhattan at West Point. So they didn't have to put me in a hotel. They didn't have to fly me. And it really wasn't a, a big priority because it was a one-off. They don't do a lot of wrestling. So, of course, I say, yes, I know wrestling. I can be there. I mean, maybe I know that a takedown is two points. But, I mean, this was not <laughs> Macho Man Savage coming off the top rope. So, but I... But I survived. I got carried by the uh, analysts. I knew everyone's names. It was not a disaster. So I get a call the next week. We want you to be a sideline reporter for the Inside Lacrosse Faceoff Classic down in Baltimore. And again, mm. I start pumping my fist. Yes, it was the first year they did it. Uh, Syracuse against Virginia, Princeton against Hopkins. I'm the sideline reporter with Quentin Dave Ryan. So that was my no ESPN news. Yeah. So it was pumped. It was great games. Uh, you know, you're on. You know, and you know, it's, it's what you wanted now. So I was fine with that. I was more than content at that point to be a sideline reporter. The only problem was they don't use a sideline reporter for a lot of lacrosse games. So their job, they knew I did analyst, uh, analyst work for high school. They're like, do you want to be an analyst for college games? So again, you never turned down a job. I said, yeah, sure. That was completely different than high school. The sport moves so much faster, obviously <laughs> at the collegiate level than high school that my head was spinning. I, I knew everyone's names. My first game was Hofstra at Hopkins when Hopkins was the defending champion with Rabel and Pizer and uh, Jesse mm. Schwartzman. So oh, it was yeah. a great game, but I think Seth Tierney still holds it against me that I completely missed a, a crease call that should have gone against Hopkins for a goal. Uh, um, you know, but it, I was not a great analyst. But luckily enough, that year of the NCAA tournament, there was a lightning delay at Duke. So the uh, play-by-play announcer who was going to call both the Duke and Carolina game had to leave that game and go to the Carolina game because you could do that. You know, you get from Duke to Chapel Hill. So when the Duke game resumed, they made me do play-by-play because the play-by-play guy wasn't there. So (laughs) I'm kind of just calling it. um, I lose track of years. But I got to – so that's how my first play-by-play announcing went. And they thought I did a good job. So, like, do you want to do more? I'm like, sure. So it kind of ebbed and flowed to where before I became the actual guy. But the biggest break for me was that Carter Blackburn, who was supposed to be their guy for lacrosse, didn't really want it. Uh, he was a great announcer, don't get me wrong, and he knew lacrosse because he was a Cuse guy, but he, he really wanted to do more baseball. So they said, all right, I, forget, I think this is 2010. It was 2010. All right, Carter. We got McEnany waiting in the wings. We'll let you go do baseball. I get a call, McEnany. Eamon, you want to call the quarterfinals this year because Carter doesn't want to do it. I'm like, awesome. Yes. Hell this yeah, is what Carter. I want to do. Yeah, <laughs> great. Go do baseball, Carter. Uh, so that was kind of it. So that's so 2010 and 2011, I did a whole bunch of play-by-play. I didn't do the finals that year because they had Sean McDonough, who obviously is a legend and did a great job. But uh, by 2012, I was their main guy, and I got to do, I think, four or five championship games. But it all kind of just started by keep banging on the door and uh, getting lucky here. And Love that. That's awesome. I didn't expect it to be that, you know, that sort of trajectory. I thought it'd be like kind of straight, straight edge, but it sounds like you uh, went through the ringer there. Uh, it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be a straight <laughs> trajectory. You're also supposed to, you know, do more in college and know what you want to do at 22 and, you know, not change your life path at 30. But, <laughs> you know, we're surviving so far. I'm, I'm getting ready to be the uh, color commentator for a Regis Jesuit high school game. So you better watch out, you know, these this Notre Dame pipeline of being, uh, you know, announcers that just don't know what the hell they want to do. You know, I might just be following <laughs> in the footsteps. So everybody watch out for that. There you go. <laughs> Beauty. Who was your uh, Who was your favorite partner in the booth? 
Oh, come on. Uh, I look, I get along with all of them. I mean, look, that, that's the great thing about the sport of lacrosse. Everyone, you know, is low key and is uh, kind of, you know, low maintenance. So, but uh, I will tell you, because I knew this question was coming. There was nothing more enjoyable in my broadcasting career than calling MLL New York Long Island Lizard games with Paul Carcaterra. We did, it was so low key and Kark and I get along so well, mm -hmm. but we, we, we like had respect for that league and all the talent and we love that league, but it just is so laid back that it, it, we just kind of treated it like we were two old guys sitting on a porch or two guys <laughs> at the barbershop, you know, and it was just a blast, you know, and you know, I don't know, like there's a game. The MLL, you guys both played in it, so is not the most organized game. Most Thanks, organized <laughs> That's league. generous for Evan, but yeah. Right. But also, like the, especially the early games, when they have no idea who's showing up because guys are still coaching. They don't know if the guy, draft picks are showing up. You yeah. know, they don't know if guys are still playing in the NLL. Like, so we get our rosters, and I forget what team it was, but, uh, you know, 77 is Garrett Billings. And this kid, Garrett Billings, who played at Virginia – goes coast to coast and i'm like billings still has it billings he's, he's not giving it up billings scores and clark goes because he really knew a lot more because garrett billings uh was on the 06 virginia team i didn't call a whole lot of games i knew the name and i knew who he was but i didn't know his like running style clark goes that is an amazing play but that is not garrett billings because there's no way garrett billings is running coast to coast for sure enough, it, it wasn't and i'm like you know there's so, I mean, that was, but that was the most fun I've ever had calling lacrosse was those <laughs> lizard games with Kark. But, uh, you know, I, I work, I get along with them great. You know, Ryan Boyle, who I didn't know very well until we started calling games, you know, an amazing, great guy to hang out with. Like he, one time I brought my son, who was probably at the time eight. So he had a long weekend from school. So we decided to make a weekend out of it because Princeton's not that far away from me. So we went down to Princeton Friday night, you know, went out to dinner in Princeton, bring him to my, the game. And all of a sudden, out of nowhere, my eight-year-old son wants to call the game. So he literally hops right in between me and Boyle and starts doing play-by-play. -play. <laughs> I'm like, I, I can't spank him in the press box at Princeton. That's going to get me in trouble, right? And I, so, but like Ryan was so cool about it that any other guy, you know, a lot of other people would not be that cool about, but that is something that will always stick out as well uh, because he was so cool about it. Um, and we didn't miss a beat on the broadcast, but uh, you know, great partners uh, in lacrosse, but certainly doing those MLO games with Clark is something I always enjoyed. That That's almost like a, a, a all-star list of guys I'd love to go to a dive bar with is you and Clark and just chop it up about <laughs> lacrosse stories. So God damn! Uh, we 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 keep you entertained for a while because we, we you know we we've had some. Absolutely. Uh, kind of a follow up question is: Do you have a bent uh, a best Quint Kesnick story? Because him and I sometimes go back and forth on Twitter, and you know it's pretty right. harmless stuff. He's a guy I'd give a big bear hug to if I saw him, and I have no problem chirping him on Twitter the very next day. Yeah, uh, I loved working with Quint. Um, you know, Quint is definitely a lot more laser focused uh, uh than clark in a way i mean they both really take it seriously so don't don't get me wrong there but you know quint's a guy who could sit down with nick Asello and say so how'd you get ready for that fiesta ball what was it like being a walk like he would pepper you with 20 to 30 questions even though it had nothing to do with what he was going to do uh you know for that game you know like if he ever bumped into the strength and conditioning coach we knew we were toast because he was going to ask him 30 questions about you know <laughs> what you know what, what what's the best way to squat i'm like come on man we gotta get to so but uh you know i tell you quint was really cool to me because you know i you know i mentioned getting into the 
play-by-play slot. I knew I wasn't the number one choice. I knew he had worked with other guys. Um, he easily, even though it's still lacrosse, he could have big-timed me. But he did the exact opposite. Like, I remember one of the first games we called, he said, you know, Eamon, you'll remember, you know this because you played at Notre Dame. He didn't have to do that. But all of a sudden, to the viewer, he gave me instant credibility, and he made it easy. And, you know, so – but the favorite story I have with Quint um, that I can tell is that same year, 2010, <laughs> the first year I get to call the quarterfinals. We're calling Notre Dame, Maryland from Princeton. And it's Princeton's football stadium. And I'm nervous enough because this is the first time I've called a big-time Notre Dame game. And I know deep down inside I want them to get back to the final floor, but I also know deep down inside any slip-up of that, and I'm screwed. You know, I can't let that happen. So I'm right. kind of tightly wound. And the power in the truck goes out. So our oh. cameras, our communication is out. Somehow, some way, I don't know how this works, but ESPNU was able to plug into the Jumbotron at the stadium. We're lucky we were at the football stadium because if we were at Princeton's normal stadium, uh, they wouldn't have had a video screen. But we're, So you could still watch the game through the Jumbotron of Princeton's football stadium. Oh. And, but some, somehow we get a message to call this phone number. So I call this number, which was Charlotte, ESPNU's main number, on my cell phone. And they patch me through so that somehow, some way, and this is before Zooms, obviously, because it's 11 years ago, I'm calling the game through my phone. So I'm on my phone, you know, saying, you know, uh, whoever, Zach Brenneman shoots, save, Catalino, save, Rogers, whatever. So I hand Legends. my phone to Quint. Yes, I hand my phone to Quint so that he can be the analyst, right? And we're going back and forth, handing the phone. Finally, someone gets a hold of us and say, hey, rocket scientists, have Quint call in on his own phone. But, uh, you, know, so we, we, you know, the two rock star lacrosse players couldn't figure out that, you know, two phones are better than one. But that's sort of uh, my favorite Quint me memory because a quarterfinal game, uh, we handled it kind of well. And, you know, we were just, you know, but we were also just complete morons. So couldn't figure out to uh, call it. Uh, you know, to call on a second phone. But uh, I enjoyed working with Quint. I, I miss, you know, you talk about, you know, telling lacrosse stories. That's the one thing I miss is just, you know, hanging out with those guys and, uh, you know, the story, you know, talking about the sport off the record and having a few cold beverages with them uh, was always fun. Mm. You know, the ACC tournaments, whenever we were somewhere for a longer weekend, uh, was always a blast. What was your favorite ACC tournament? And why was it 2016? <laughs> Uh, I, I lose track of the years, but the one where Syracuse pulled off that, I mean, I guess it was the first one in Philly where Notre Dame pulls one out of its tush against Maryland. Uh, maybe <laughs> I'm getting my years confused, but Maryland, Notre Dame goes in on the bubble and, uh, pulls one out. Uh, great check by Apple. Yep. Jack near goes coast to coast, yep. gets it to Kavanaugh. They win that game. And all of a sudden, you know, you're looking at this team at halftime, like they're not gonna make the tournament. They're going to lose this game and not make the NCAA tournament. So they win that game, but then the Syracuse-Duke game uh, was just unbelievable. Syracuse pulls two goals off, Stotts with an incredible pass. I'm going to lose all of it. You know, there's just a, it's in a crazy final 10 seconds. Uh, I wish I knew the face-off rules better because Syracuse's face-off guy goes about 20 seconds early, and I didn't <laughs> notice it to win because he was not a great face-off guy, but he won that big one. He also beat the stud from Bryant in the, at the end of the NCAA tournament. But anyway, they pulled that one off. So that weekend, those two great Friday games, games and then Notre Dame Connor Kelly makes the save at the buzzer uh, I'm pretty sure that's the same weekend uh and in a yeah. great venue yep. that 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 stadium is amazing I wish uh you know somehow 
Um, they could put the final four there. I understand why they can't, but uh, those soccer venues, that, that venue is amazing. The town, eh, not so great, but uh, it's just in the middle of nowhere. So you got yeah, to live sketchy. in you got, you, yeah, it's sketchy. Yeah. You don't want to hang out at the you know Holiday Inn down the block and go out for beers. You'd rather be in downtown Philly. But that weekend uh, was pretty amazing. I, I wish they figured out a way to have a, you know to get BC or get you know Virginia Tech to go all in so they could have a legitimate ACC tournament the way they do it now. I mean, not this year excluded because of COVID. They had to do different things. But you know the cockamamie plan they've come up with because five coaches can't agree on anything is just. It's just useless, but that's for another podcast. Well, Uh, that's that's one of the best ACC tournaments ever. And, like, I I always love the differentiation between, like, a a great goal that makes you, you know, kind of come up with a catchphrase and and really dial it in. And then, like, that Syracuse goal, there's nothing you can do but just yell in excitement. And those are (laughs) always my favorite. Like, you know, when stats goes behind the back, Evan, who finished that? Billy Ward. Yeah. Behind right. the back, the Billy Ward finish it. And, like, I remember we were watching that, I think either in the hotel room or, like, in the locker room or something. And all of us just started screaming because it was such a ridiculous lacrosse play. So I guess my follow-up. I tell to- you, the, the, the goal that wins it, Stotts is involved again. And I'm sitting there thinking he's going to have to shoot this thing from midfield almost. I tell you, you talk about – we all know how great a player he was. Is, but he actually looks at the clock to see how much time he has left and knows that he has time to make a pass. And I'm, you know, I'm thinking the game's over and he pulled that off. But uh, just sorry for interrupting. It's just it's amazing plays there down that stretch for Syracuse. Yeah, good friend of the program, uh, Randy okay. Stats. And um, so what what was more fun, kind of calling that game and being a part of that ACC experience, or Notre Dame Hofstra or uh, Notre Dame Albany at the Hofstra Stadium in 2014? Notre Dame Albany is hands down the greatest game I. Most exciting (laughs) event I call Carolina, Maryland for the championship. The last game I called uh, is pretty close. Obviously, those ACC games, but there's something about it. And I'm sure it's, you know, Domer bias as well. But there's something about that atmosphere that day when you bring in the Thompsons and, you know, Coach Desco, to his credit, came up with the great label, calling them the Magical Mystery Tour. People got mad at me because I buried it into the ground calling them the magical mystery tour but as an announcer when you get something that you like and you think fits you're going to use it over and over again um but there was something you guys all know that you played against them and you know the build-up there was something about that albany team because all we saw was highlights their games to uh you know unfortunately no one picked up their games so their games were never on tv you just heard about you know um lyle and ty and uh what they were able to do you saw and so there was that build-up and I'm sure, Nick, you felt this on the field. There was a New York City vibe in that crowd that day. Evan, I know you're a Long Island guy, so you know what the chirping's like in the 516. You add on, you add on people coming out of New York City. The alums came out for that. That place was packed. It's a great venue for anyone who hasn't been there. Uh, it's perfect for the quarterfinals. There was just an unbelievable vibe. And, there's, and it's just an unbelievable game. I, you know, I've not never just been because Nick, yeah, go ahead. scared of a crowd until I was yeah. there. And, and I remember yeah. walking by and, and my dad said that he almost got in a fight. Mr. Kavanaugh said that he almost got in a fight. Uh, Sergio Perkovic's dad said that, like everybody, it was just like an, now, a, a now Nick, to be fair, those three guys doesn't exactly narrow it down. Those guys, they could get out and get into a fight walking out of church. Uh, I kid because I love them all. You know okay. You're, you're right. You're, you're right. But, I'm just having fun with you. No, but it was, I mean, every, 
uh, everyone was on top of you and no one was rooting for uh, Notre Dame except, you know, obviously the, the, the parents and uh, the family. And, uh, you know, it's a great win. There's a point in that game, and this is where the Domer bias will come out. Uh, I forget who takes the shot. It might have been Kavanaugh. But uh, anyway, Notre Dame's on this comeback. They get a great look for a goal. It hits the post and comes all the way out on a line drive. Evan, you have not thrown a better outlet pass in your life. And this guy hits an Albany D midi in stride going the other way. Fair style. He goes down. Yeah. yeah, he goes down and scores. And I literally, I think the game's over. And here, you know, Mr. Announcer knows what he's talking about. I say the Danes are going all the way to Baltimore or running all the way to Baltimore. Coach Corrigan, Coach Byrne have yet to let me live that down. I hear about that thing all the time. Who's Nick, help me out. I'm drawing a blank on his name. The great guy who's uh, Corrigan's wingman who does all the dirty work, the uh, ops guy. K.A., uh, Kevin Anderson. Yeah, and there's another, there's another guy anyway. They come out Notre Dame for this junior event. We're hanging out, drinking, and he's like, so – you really thought we were done in that Albany game. I'm like, it's been three years. Get over it. But uh, uh, anyway, so to, for Notre Dame to pick themselves up off the deck after that two-goal swing uh, uh, was amazing. It was, you know, it was amazing. And then, Nick, I just didn't notice, not to dominate the conversation here, you kind because you tweeted this, you kind of get away with a nudge on that Kavanaugh oh, yeah. uh, end-line oh. play out of bounds. Did I get away I, with know, a nudge? I blasted that guy directly <laughs> in the back and then just threw my hands up like I was innocent. I still so got Blaze and Matt Bertrams and all my Albany buddies still give me shit for that. They're like, no, you know your foot was in the crease on that bullshit Sports Center top ten goal, and you know you hit that guy in the back. You're a scumbag. <laughs> they, and I'm like, they they bang you for both, but the NCAA got you back against Duke. I still haven't gotten over that either. They oh, got fuck. you for an interference. You and Stephen O'Hara. I almost got fired uh, after the uh, O'Hara reaction, but uh, <laughs> yes. Yeah, so uh, that, that that's the game. You know, the, the Carolina Maryland game. Uh, it was an amazing game. Uh, just being in a football stadium, an NFL stadium, just doesn't give the announcer the same vibe as being right on top of everything at Hofstra. Yeah. What's your, I have to ask, what is your, you had a lot of catchphrases. What was your favorite yeah. one to, to let loose? Um, yeah, time room bullseye. You know, <laughs> when, when, when you see the long stick with the ball or a face-off guy, mm-hmm. you get sick to your stomach. Do I trust this guy that he's really going to score? Do I trust TJ Finley that with the gate again on the line against Syracuse, Syracuse. he's really going to stick it? (laughs) He's really going to go right down any street? And then so you don't necessarily, you know, but when you nail a time room bullseye, I hung out with uh, Brendan Caputo from Brown one night. Yeah, Um, That call against uh, Maryland to tie it up. To tie it up, I told him that was my favorite time room bullseye because I knew it just – developed in front of me but to 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 build it up so the reason why it's my favorite is because it just happened organically sometimes you go in uh that's why they call it execution has been something i've been using since for football highlights for a thousand years when someone runs a dive play and you get a seal here and seal here you know it's just a simple play on the double meaning of the word but anyway there's a build-up time room bullseye i just said it by accident once and it stuck and it felt you know like wow that works um because you guys know you play the sports, so you know, and we just for some reason we call it time and room instead of just saying open, right? <laughs> yeah. Perkovic, Perkovic, instead of just saying we can't let Perkovic open, we say we can't give Perkovic time and room. So you go to a practice, you're like, this guy's their time and room shooter. You know, yep. it just is ingrained in you. So I started using it on the broadcasts, and you know, invariably you get on those uh, forums, lax power. Why does he say time and room? Why can't he just say it's open? So me being the New Yorker, once I know it tweaks someone, I'm going to use it more and more. So uh, I go, I go, you know, time, room, bullseye, it's stuck. And, uh, you know, the worst is when they shoot it wide. Time, room, 
wide. So. <laughs> you, you had some time room saves for sure. Just, oh, there's was definitely. You would definitely. yell save. You would say yell save louder than you yell bullseye sometimes. Like, sometimes, <laughs> yeah, because you know it'd definitely be a stopper or a shocker. You know, I usually try to save them. There are definitely sometimes when if you haven't used it yet, you're in the fourth quarter, you're like, I got to break it out now. But, uh, <laughs> you know, you, you try to have your scouting reports down and, and know who the guys are. So, <laughs> All right. Uh, real quick, we want to move on to the, the quarterfinals that are coming up this weekend and, and get you back uh, into the analysis. So just like sort of rapid fire, going to run through the games. Uh, first one off, who do you have for UNC Rutgers? And give us like your quick takeaways for that game. Uh, I think Carolina is playing the best lacrosse of anyone in the country right now. What they did to Duke in the ACC tournament, uh, you know, beating Notre Dame. You know, I'm sure Rutgers is a great story. I know how you guys feel about Rutgers, but, uh, <laughs> uh, you know, Carolina is just too powerful for them. Perfect. We're an anti-Rutgers uh, podcast anyways, so that works out great with us. Uh, Virginia, Georgetown. Georgetown kind of took it to Syracuse. Yeah, I like Georgetown in that one. I think the layoff for Virginia, I know they won. They didn't oh. look great about against Bryant. I just think Georgetown's playing really well right now. Uh, Kevin Warren uh, is a great coach. Not that Lars Tiffany isn't, but I, you know, I know Syracuse was kind of on fumes going into the tournament. They're not the same team they were at the start of the year. Uh, I just think Georgetown's playing with a ton of confidence right now. And uh, Virginia, obviously very talented. They always are, but I, I just don't know how you get ready with being three weeks off. Yeah. I, I think that's going to be an instant classic. Uh, all right. This should be an easy one. Notre Dame, Maryland. Come on. Yeah, I mean, come on. Uh, you know, look, I don't know how they're going to do it. Maryland's great. Tillman's a great coach. And I have tons of respect uh, for Maryland. I haven't seen a lot of them uh, this year because, uh, you know, why would you watch another conference in the ACC? For the ACC bias, but uh, yeah, no, look, I just think Notre Dame's going to find a way. We've gotten our bad tournament game. Uh, give credit to Drexel, but you know what I mean? Our, our tough game. So if, they, if Notre Dame clears, they'll win. Seriously. The All right. Last one. Uh, Loyola Duke Loyola, great kick save against Denver to save themselves. Uh, I would love for Loyola to win because Aiden Olmstead is the son of a former teammate from Notre Dame, Johnny O, John Olmstead. I, I just think Duke's too powerful. I mean, there's a reason why everyone thought they would win every game by uh, 10 goals, and we saw it in the first round. Sowers uh, is a, a different level, so if he can get going with the freshman from Long Island whose name escapes me right now, uh, they're going to be, you know, they're just tough to beat. They, they just got it at every level. Got it. And then we know that you're wrapping up uh, right now. looks like you're going to get on the subway. So we'll just kind of leave it off with, um, you know, we know that you work and do some great stuff with City Lax. Um, we just wanted to give you uh, the floor to talk about your partnership with them and what City Lax means for the sport. Yeah, I mean, look, I, I grew up in New York when there was no lacrosse and the sport has done everything for me. So it's a way to, to give back and also, you know, create opportunities for the sport to open up doors for other people who normally for can't get a chance to play. We all know how expensive uh, the sport is to play and how sort of. Ex uh, that's what I was hearing. It him. seems yeah. like he's cutting out. He's getting on the subway. <laughs> no worries. But oh, you know, man. if, if I were to pick up where he left off and if he cuts back in, I'll shut the hell up, but he does some fantastic work, work with city lax and, like he was just saying is they do a fantastic job. You know, one of the biggest hurdles is financial costs associated and city lax does some fantastic stuff in lacrosse to provide it, um, you know, to, to really combat that, make it a more diverse, make it a more inclusive sport. And, um, you know, we'll, we'll reach out to Eamon and, and work on a statement that we can push out on social, but, um, no, man, it's, uh, it's been fantastic. Eamon, 
legend of the game. Um, I'm just looking at his frozen face on the Zoom right now. <laughs> and, uh, yeah. yeah, I think I think we got to end it there. I mean, yeah, I mean, he's got, he's yeah, he gone, just cut out. <laughs> thank you, Eamon. That was great. Uh, I'm, I'm pissed we didn't get to say bye to him, but I, I couldn't stop talking to him. Oh, he's coming back. Now the, could I all oh, here he comes? <laughs> I feel like I did a good job of picking up where he left his shout-out off, though. You did a great job. Let's see if he gets back in here. He's I hope. Or or not. <laughs> I hope that I can just send him that clip and be like, hey, Eamon, how'd I do? 1 to 10. And he gives me a 15. And then I'm working at ESPN <laughs> instead of Miles Jones, who I'm going to give a lot of shit to at camp. Oh, he, he was back for a second. Back for a quick second. Eamon, I was just picking up where you left off as far as the uh, giving a big shout-out to City Lax. If you want to wrap that up in a much more succinct way that I can, uh, we'll let you get on your way. <laughs> All right. This is the best end to, a, to an interview we'll ever have. So with that being said, I'll, I'll hit stop and pause on the record, and we will get back into uh, the rest of the episode. Thank you to Eamon McEnany. What a guy. I mean, you know, not only did we have the Notre Dame connection, but that's a guy that you want to grab a beer with and hear about his stories within the lacrosse community. Um, so huge shout out. Thank you for being candid. Um, you know, we know you had to rush right there, but we'll be putting out some stuff about his partnership with City Lax in New York. Um, you know, just a fantastic guy. But either way, thank you for tuning in for another episode. We really appreciate your support. If you want to support us even further, go ahead and log on to Sideline Swap. Start buying a bunch of shit up. If you want to support us even further than that, go to redtruckbeefjerky.com, redtruckbeefjerky.com. Use promo code postgame15, and, uh, and that stuff all gets tracked back. And hopefully we have some good news upcoming about all kinds of fun stuff. But uh, like and subscribe and do all that shit so either way this has been a great episode i am buzzed and i will promise to be this buzz next week later